I remember Easter as a child. I grew up in a small church on what was once a small family farm in the Midwest. And we would hold sunrise services in a wooded corner of the yard around an old rugged cross that the elders had placed there. Often the first signs of spring would be budding and blooming all around us. I suppose early morning services on Easter started because it's part of the first Easter story, and we want to be a part of that story too. Just this past Sunday, we held morning prayers out in the garden here at Richmond Hill. About 20 of us gathered near the fountain looking to the east as birds began to sing the morning. John's Gospel tells us that Mary was up early that first Easter, while it was still dark. I imagine she couldn't sleep with all she'd witnessed in the days before. Already awake, she rushed into the streets of Jerusalem, hurrying past sleeping dogs and horses through the city gates, deserted except for a couple soldiers standing guard. She ran through the countryside toward the quarry that provided stones to build the city. She had shared in Jesus' ministry, and now she would return to the place where her hopes had ceased, where her dreams had died. She passed beneath the clifftop where the two men who had been crucified with Jesus still hung on wooden crosses, but she didn't stop. She kept moving to the far corner of the quarry past two rows of hand-chiseled graves toward the new tomb in the garden. We join Mary as she slows to approach the tomb. We come to the tomb, too, for our own reasons, perhaps no different from hers. We've known fear, disappointment, grief, and despair. If you know what it is like to be in a troubled relationship, or to be living with a terminal disease, or to have lost someone that you love, then you know what it's like to stand with Mary at the grave. If you've lost your job or were not promoted as you should have been, then you know. If you ache when you hear about children growing up in violent neighborhoods or schools that are attacked by deranged gunmen, then you belong here too. The tomb should be the destination if we are concerned about the poor or what we are doing to the earth or about the treatment of immigrants or the prospects of nuclear war. Whatever our fears, whatever our concerns, the tomb is an appropriate place for us to gather now. A number of years ago, a man named Cleve McClary led a chapel service for a team that I was on. Cleve was a high school track star who later married his high school sweetheart. They started a family, and shortly afterward, his life was interrupted by Vietnam. He proudly left his home to serve his country, and it wasn't long before he found himself smack in the middle of battle. Bullets whizzed by, he recounted to us. Only the screams of the wounded and dying could be heard over the thump of mortar shells and the racket of semi-automatic fire. And in a flash, everything went dark for Cleve. He woke a few days later in a mass unit, still fighting for his life. Shrapnel had ripped through his chest, his face, and his arm. He had lost an eye, and his right arm had to be amputated above the elbow. 
After several days, it became clear that he would survive, but his life would never be the same. In the midst of his losses, his greatest fear was facing his wife and his family, he told us. Would they accept him? Was it fair for him to expect them to? He felt that he was half the man he once was. Klebe had been to the tomb. Fortunately, the love and devotion of his family proved far greater than the wounds that he had suffered. Through his experience, Klebe learned something we all need to know. He found something that we all need, something greater even than the love of his family. We need to be able to go to the place of our deepest fear, our greatest sadness, not to have our sorrows mocked, but to have them addressed. We need what God offers, some divine assurance, some blessed assurance, that what in our fear we thought was the whole picture is not the whole picture at all. Bending down, Mary looked into the tomb only to discover that the body of Jesus wasn't there. What she had expected to find was different. Things were not according to her plans. Tomorrow marks the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. I drove by there several years ago before it was turned into a museum. As I recall, the entire building was surrounded by a chain-link fence, and there was a large display of flowers marking the spot on the balcony. The place was otherwise dilapidated and deserted. Not what I was expecting to see. That day, March 4, 1968, was, of course, one of the darkest days in our nation's history. With Martin Luther King's death, a movement was halted and a dream threatened. But as time would reveal, and as we would well know, as we all well know here at Richmond Hill, it was in no way the end of the story. The work for racial justice was picked up by others, and the dream of the beloved community soon resurrected. If you can't fly, then run, Martin Luther King said. If you can't run, then walk. And if you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. He also said that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. He was a man with a dream and a man with faith in the power of God to turn death into life. To look in the empty tomb with that in mind makes the question, is it possible, seem ridiculous. Of course, with God, all things are possible. Nine years ago this spring, my family and I celebrated Easter on Iona, off the coast of western Scotland. It was a beautiful sunny day, and we hiked to the far end of the island to a place known as Columba's Bay, where St. Columba arrived from Ireland. It's the place where Christianity arrived in Scotland 1,500 years ago. 
And the story goes that Columba, with a motley crew of followers, left Ireland in a small leather boat. They were even cast out. But he was determined to see this as an opportunity to serve God. And so he sailed and he sailed and finally he landed on this small island and he got off the boat and climbed up on a small knoll and he looked back and when he couldn't see Ireland, he said, this is where we belong. He was sure that he had arrived at the end of the earth and that he was fulfilling the Great Commission. Go to the ends of the earth and share the gospel with the world. Even now, standing on that stony shore on a clear day, you get the sense that you might be at the end of the world. Or maybe it's the beginning of the world. And everything is before you. The vast desert sea becomes insignificant in the face of the magnitude of God's reign. Easter is like that. It reveals the largeness of God's love and the possibilities that lie before us. Returning again to Mary and the story of that first Easter morning, what happened on that countryside in that small remote remote quarry outside of Jerusalem is too big to comprehend. It's difficult for us to capture the enormity of the event by looking into an empty tomb. Mary bent over, tears running down her cheeks, unaware of what had happened, not sure what to make of her experience. And so she listened in the emptiness for an answer. And suddenly his voice broke that silence. Why are you weeping, he said. Who are you looking for? I imagine if we were in her shoes, we might try to explain, well, we're looking for hope, for healing, for a sign that the dream hasn't died. But then he interrupts and he calls us by name. In that moment, we say with Christians through the ages and around the world, Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. We join Mary in the joy of knowing that God's love prevails, that there is hope and despair and life beyond death. Several years ago, a man came to the church I was serving for a meal. He was unshaven and dirty, and he was carrying everything he owned in two bags. He explained that he was on his way home to Lewistown after being away for 15 years. I've been working hard, he said but it's time to go home. We visited for a while and I gave him a voucher for a meal at a nearby diner and I walked him to the door. But before he left, he turned to me and he said, I've been through some tough times out there, some some really bad things I've seen. Stuff so bad it would make a lot of people say that there's no God. But I felt Christ with me always, he said. And I believe that God has used me to make a difference in a lot of people's lives. And then he did something that caught me off guard. He he offered me a blessing. And then he turned and he quietly walked away. I wonder how many times I've encountered the living Christ and not even known it. 
How many times I've heard the voice of Jesus calling but failed to recognize who it was that was speaking my name. In this Easter season, we must return from the tomb as Mary did and share the good news with the world. What we know to be true, Jesus is alive, must influence our commitments and our concerns going forward and re-energize us for faithful living right now. Our lives must testify like Mary's to the goodness of God's presence in the world today. One final story to close. A group of travelers were running late to catch their plane and grabbing their bags from the taxi, they ran into the terminal, but on the way they carelessly knocked over a table on which a young girl had some items for sale. But not wanting to miss their flight, they ran on. But as they found themselves slowed by the lines and security checkpoints, one of the group bid farewell to his colleagues and he ran back to the young girl. And when he got there, he discovered that she was blind. And some of the jars that she had been selling had been broken. He helped her as best he could and then he pulled out a $50 bill and he gave it to her and he said, I hope this helps to recover whatever's been broken. And he walked away. And as he did, she called after him and she said, Are you Jesus? (laughs) We can only hope that others will see enough of the risen Christ in us to ask the same question. In the meantime, like Mary, let us run to tell the others what we have seen and heard. Thank you.